Well, hey, friends, Jonathan here, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. We have a magical conversation for you on the podcast today. That's right. I said a magical conversation, and that's all I'm going to say. But before we jump in, I want to ask you, do you want to be more fulfilled in 2021? Do you want to produce more? Do you want to gain more momentum? And if so, are you wondering how to go about doing that effectively so that you can do the things that you want to do, do the things that you're passionate about, and do the right things and not all of the things? Well, you're going to need a framework. And it just so happens we have one for you. And we're going to be hosting the 5 Days to Focus Jumpstart, a framework to help you get productive and gain more momentum in 2021. It's going to be January 25th through the 29th of this year. And you can register for free over at focus.rightsideupleader.com forward slash jumpstart. You can also click the link in the show notes below. We want to help you take next steps towards getting healthy and reaching more impact. And if you want to do more in 2021, you want to live a more fulfilled life in 2021 to be more productive and gain more momentum after what you went through last year, then join us. We can't wait to see you. And now enjoy today's magical conversation with Harris III on today's episode of the podcast. Enjoy. Well, Harris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. And so I've seen you from stage before and you've blown my mind uh, more than a few times. So excited to kind of dig under the surface a little bit. So I have to ask, like, take me back to the moment when you're like, maybe I should be an illusionist for the rest oh, of my man. life. What, what was that moment or that season like? Uh, I don't remember much about that moment. Uh, you know, I can tell you what I do remember. Uh, I remember getting a magic kit for Christmas from my grandmother, opening it up experiencing these feelings of dis- disappointment because it was not what I asked for for Christmas. I wanted a baseball glove and that box was the perfect size to hold a baseball glove, which made the heartbreak even worse, I think, because you're like, oh, that's it. That's the glove. It's the perfect size. She honored my request and wish. I ripped it open, saw a box of magic tricks and I was like, why in the world did she buy me a magic kit? And so a few days go by out of boredom. I learned my first trick, performed it from a mom and dad. I kind of marched into the living room there watching TV and I'm like, mom and dad gather around. Here's what grandma got me for Christmas. And I performed this first trick, their eyes light up. And I remember thinking to myself, what? Like you're amazed. And I'm sure there was a time when I was younger that people were amazed. Like, yay, he, you know, used the bathroom in a toilet by himself or yay, he learned how to walk or yay, whatever. But clearly by that point, that's not something that I was used to, people being in awe of something that I had done. Um, And now what I understand about wonder is that it's contagious. And so, you know, their experience of wonder reawakened my wonder uh, and gave me permission to believe in a whole new story of possibility. So I don't remember specifically thinking the words, man, I'm going to do magic for the rest of my life. But that moment was certainly um, the time that, that idea was given birth to. So when someone's sitting next to you on a plane and they say, so what do you do for a living? What do you tell them? I'm a storyteller. Uh, You know, I'm a storyteller who happens to do magic tricks, just like you, anyone listening to this is a storyteller who happens to fill in the blank with whatever they typically say is their vocation. Uh, And that's because we're storytelling beings as human beings. Uh, It's who we are. It's what we do. Narrative is the operating system of our brain. Um, And so everything is story. And I think once you have that epiphany, uh, it changes everything about how you see yourself, 
in the mirror, how you see the world, how you approach your work, how you serve others. So we can dig into that if you want to during this conversation, but um, it's a fun way to, you know, pique people's curiosity and be like storyteller. What do you mean? You just sit around campfires for a living or you make movies. What do you do? Sounds great. I'd be in for, for either of those vocations if, <laughs> if possible. Um, yeah. Let, let's swing back around the story here in a bit. One thing that, that you shared at some point that deeply impacted me was just, you saw success at an early age. You're up on a lot of stages and then just sort of had some reawakening moments about what truly mattered, what was important. Obviously you're a dad of three. So that matters deeply to you to kind of take us back to that moment. What was kind of shifting in your heart and in your soul during that time? Man, you know, so much of my identity was being reshaped and reformed. And while there was a lot of becoming, I think there was also a lot of unbecoming. Um, A lot of it was just asking questions. You know, what is life all about? How did this happen? Uh, What led to me being in this situation? What mistakes did I make? Um, And I'm assuming you're referring to the part of my story of making a million dollars doing magic shows by 21 and then practically being bankrupt by 22. Because when you have that kind of experience, um, you're kind of forced to step back and go, okay, what did I miss? Um, I'm not a fan of this situation that I'm in. So how did it happen? And what's interesting is that I remember spending a lot of time realizing and connecting the dots between how those lies um, changed the story that I was telling myself about who I am, which changed the choices that I made, led me to make some pretty big mistakes. And the same way that I got tricked into believing those lies, essentially, it was all rooted in the same principles of deception that I was using as an illusionist to trick people on stage. Um, And so, you know, I make a table levitate or quote unquote, read someone's mind or make a coin disappear or pull a coin out from behind a kid's ear using the same principles of psychology and persuasion and sensory perception that politicians use to write speeches, that marketers and advertisers use to sell us anything from cars to houses to makeup or the right brand of jeans. Um, and the same principles that leaders use to lead people in really positive, influential ways that better their lives. And really the, the only thing that determines whether we label someone a con man or a great leader is the motivation behind how they're using those principles of persuasion, because it's the same principles. Those are somewhat universal. Uh, I remember spending most of my time to answer your question, thinking about those principles and how powerful they are. I'm curious, do you have a few favorite stories, whether movies or books, um, that you kind of come back to that are just kind of in your bones? Uh, I mean, Gladiator was the first film that came to mind. Um, so good. Yeah, I love that film. Do you say so that movies. from stage? Are you not entertained? <laughs> like, that gets a little needy. Um, I don't say that one, but I, you know, I, the, other, the quote from that movie that I love is that what we do uh, on earth echoes in eternity or, you know, what you do now echoes in eternity. So good. Um, you do a much better impression than I am. So I won't try to top that one with the accent. But yeah, I, I think that that story highlights so many universal principles of the fact that we're all living a story and we're all being driven and motivated to live a great story. Um, or at least it whispers that to our souls when we watch it. It's one of my favorite ones. So good. Uh, is magic real? Riddle me that. Yes. 
<laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> it's a simple yes or no question, right? <laughs> uh, magic is absolutely real. And it's not what most people think of, you know, a lot of people here is magic real. What they really mean is, Hey, you're a magician is the creepy stuff that I see people like you do, especially people like David Blaine or Chris Angel on television is that stuff real. And most of what we call magic is fake, but most of what we don't notice in the world around us that is truly magical, um, you know, that's the stuff we don't think of as magic. And yet it's right there, right in front of our face. We just often miss it. Roald Dahl famously said that those who don't believe in magic will never find it. And so I think there's a lot of people who have allowed cynicism to sort of take root in their heart and it whispers and lies to them on a regular basis. So when something comes along that seems magical or when someone comes along and says, Hey, you know, I want to show you some magic. People are like magic. I know. Thanks. I'll, I'll believe in that when I see it because you know, it's hard to, it's hard to believe in something until you can see it when cynicism is ruling your life. But you know, I think Roald Dahl was right. Those who don't believe in magic will never find it because sometimes you have to believe in something before you can see it. And that's really what my book, The Wonder Switch, you know, at the heart of it, if I had to summarize it, it's really about moving from thinking that seeing is believing and having that cynical mindset of only being able to believe in something once you see it and moving towards what the science supports, which is the fact that believing is actually seeing. Not in this new age woo-woo, if I just believe in it, I can attract it. But quite literally, what we believe has the power to change what we see, because the mere belief in something gives our brain permission to go get creative, to go explore, to open our eyes a little bit wider and be able to see something that was right under our noses the entire time. Well, man, huge congrats uh, on the book, The Wonder Switch, The Difference Between Living Your Life and Limiting Your Dream. What crushes our wonder, Harris? Uh, a lot of things. If you want to put it in one big bucket, it's called trauma. Uh, you know, trauma undealt with and unhealed from, and if we're not equipped to respond to it with truth and maturity and wisdom, it can lead to things like shame and addiction and ultimately gives birth to lies. Uh, lie, a lie is simply an untrue story that we tell ourselves, um, And often we get told untrue stories, but it becomes alive when we get tricked into believing it and repeating that untrue story back to ourselves. And I think the most dangerous lies we tell are the ones we tell to ourselves. Um, and so ultimately the trauma that often leads to those lies that breaks the narrative. And because as I said earlier, we are storytelling beings. If narrative is the operating system of our brains and that narrative gets broken, then all of a sudden we have a part of our story that we can't process. It's like we, our brain quite literally can't make sense of that story. Um, and that results in turning off what I use the metaphor of a switch as it turns off the wonder switch. Once the wonder switch gets turned off, it's hard to see possibility anywhere, let alone have permission to believe uh, in a new story. Yeah, so so true. Uh, are there a few of those lies, those underlying um, story threads um, that you see true in, in leaders? That's predominantly who listen to this podcast, pastors, nonprofit leaders, business leaders. I'm just curious, are there a few of those lies you feel like resurface in leaders, especially high capacity leaders? Yeah, I mean, really. I mean, your question, even though it's targeted towards leaders, is really a universal human question. Uh, in my experience, you know, if you take all of the lies that we get led to believe and tell ourselves, they really, when you start to dissect them all, they only fall into three primary big ones. Um, I call those lies, I'm not enough, I can't belong, and simply, I can't. 
And so this idea of not being able to measure up is one that I see a lot of leaders struggle with. In fact, a lot of times it's why people are motivated to become leaders. You know, this idea of we never got approval from people that we were in the care of when we were children. And so we got sold the lie that we're not enough. And somehow that approval must be earned. And so we sort of set off on a mission to show the world that we have what it takes, that we're strong enough, that we're cool enough, that we're talented enough, that we're whatever enough. And so that lie that we get tricked into believing, that belief shapes what we see. So when we stand in front of the mirror, we see the reflection of someone who doesn't have what it takes. And so everything about our days um, is essentially us putting on a show to prove that we are enough. Uh, the second one can be kind of connected to this, this idea of I don't belong, you know, that we desperately um, need to understand that we are worthy of love and belonging. And so a lot of leaders are trying to lead their way into belonging um, instead of accepting the fact that they have nothing to prove in order to be worthy of love and belonging. You know, that third one, just for the sake of satisfying curiosity among listeners, we call it, I can't. There's a lot of leaders who think that something is out of reach of the organization that they are leading, that it's just not possible. And usually that's not the case. The belief that they can't lead an organization to that place or that something that they are desperately desiring for themselves and the people that they lead is, you know, unattainable to them. That's usually rooted in some sort of lie or limiting belief. Again, it was rooted in some sort of trauma or an experience they had um, that shaped their story that they can't make sense of. You say this, without wonder, we can't change the untrue stories we tell ourselves. What is the power in wonder? Like what, what does that wonder switch unlock in us? Yeah, you know, UC Berkeley is doing a lot of research now about what they call positive awe states, which I associate with wonder. Awe is different than wonder with a, you know, mostly a single caveat. And that is that awe is the root of the word awesome and the word awful. So <laughs> awe is, can be both positive or negative. Someone can certainly be like, I am just in awe of what that person did. I'm in awe. I can't believe that he or she said that out loud or did those things. Um, but positive awe stage, which I would correlate with wonder, can shift the physiology in our bodies. It can even decrease chronic inflammation, decrease our stress, boost our immune systems. But one of the most fascinating parts of the research is that it is associated with an openness. In other words, wonder and the presence of it, when you're in a state of wonder, we are more open. Our brain has more permission to believe in things that we have yet to see. It has more permission to be curious about exploring things that are mysterious or unknown. And so, you know, most of our, again, because our behavior is being driven by the narratives that we have adopted to be true, regardless of whether they're actually true or not. Well, the presence of wonder sort of opens us up to the possibility of a new story. It opens us up when someone comes along and tries to do introduce a new narrative without wonder that openness doesn't exist. We don't have permission to believe. We sort of say closed off, shut off, whether it's healthy or serves us well or not, we kind of go, ah, no thanks. I'm going to hang on to the story that I'm already telling myself about who I am and what's possible. We talk a lot about Sabbath and maybe in those white spaces in, in life where we haven't jammed our schedule completely full. Any thoughts on the connection between Sabbath and wonder or just margin and wonder? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm definitely more margin. Um, Sabbath is absolutely connected. Uh, I, I'm going to go with margin just because it feels like uh, 
it doesn't, it won't take a few hours to unpack. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Practicing Sabbath has transformed my life. And part of it is, you know, I guess it's the same. Uh, I'm sort of processing out loud as I answer your question here, but you know, Sabbath is an honoring of creating a margin in our calendars. But while we can honor the Sabbath, I also feel like margin is an overlooked concept that a lot of leaders miss out on on a daily basis throughout the week. Um, You know, in the book, I talk a lot about how curiosity is wonder in action. Um, And this regular practice of curiosity um, is has a lot to do with observation. You know, Leonardo da Vinci talked a lot about this in his writings. Um, I think he's somewhat underrated, which sounds shocking to say, because everyone's like, are you kidding? It's Leonardo da Vinci. Of course he's not underrated, but I think we, we often don't realize just how much he created. He he wasn't just active as an artist. Uh, I mean, he, he has some of the earliest recordings of flying machines, like a helicopter and an airplane. It's pretty crazy stuff. If you start looking at his body of work and his journals, And he equates all of his creativity, not to some sort of endowed genius or intelligence, but simply to curious observation. And what I have experienced in my own life is that when every second of my day is planned out or consumed because I'm being distracted by something without that intentional margin, my observation tends to go down and decrease. And so what margin does is it creates space for me to be able to look up every now and then and just pay a little bit closer attention to the magic that's going on around me, which increases my ability to tap into it more regularly. Mm. A lot of leaders are feeling squeezed right now, seeing a lot of overwhelm, loss of margin, loss of play, loss of space, you know, getting outside, vacations canceled, all of that. What would you say to leaders that want to rekindle that wonder? Do you have kind of some simple practices that you would kind of coax people into? Yeah. Um, you know, I would start by just again, making it clear that, you know, wonder is our natural state. We all came into this world wide eyed, awake to wonder, believing in real magic. We saw a possibility everywhere, you know, living as if believing is seeing was not a problem in our childhood, which means that to awaken our wonder and to experience all that it has to offer us as leaders has less to do with going out and searching for something that we've never had or finding something we don't currently have. We already have it. It's there. It's more of a return to it, which means there's something getting in the way. And so to lead with wonder is more about clearing a blockage. And so to identify the thing that's turning off the wonder switch requires some pretty radical self-inquiry. And so I think the first step is to do that work of going back and going, okay, instead of asking, how do I turn on the wonder switch? I need to identify what's turning it off um, so that it can naturally sort of come back on so I can return back to that natural state. And that's scary to a lot of people. And a lot of that has to do with the way that our irrational fears have sort of hijacked our imagination. You know, I keep saying that we are storytelling creatures, that we walk around all day long telling ourselves stories to make sense of the world around us, to find meaning in things. And that's so true that even though we do that all day long, even when we go to bed at night, when we physically sleep, our brain stays up all night long telling ourselves more stories. And if we are these storytelling beings, the human imagination is simply a storytelling tool. It is always active. It's not a question of if we're using our imagination, but how. Imagination is like a virtual reality flight simulator for the future. It is fast forwarding in the story, 
Again, this is outside of our conscious awareness usually, but on a subconscious level, our imagination is at work. It's fast forwarding going, okay, what happens next in this story? What happens next in this story? What if this happens? What if this happens? If you're in a car, but you're not driving, but the driver is tailgating the person in front of you and you, your heart rate increases, your palms start getting sweaty. That's your body trying to stay safe. What's happening is your imagination is fast forwarding to the next scene uh, of that story. And it's going, oh, I don't like this image that I'm seeing of ending up in a ditch somewhere from rear ending this car in front of us. And so your imagination sends a signal back to your nervous system. Your nervous system makes your palms sweat, your heart rate. It makes you aware of the danger that you're in. That is to keep you safe. Now there's a difference between rational fears and irrational fear, but that idea of how our imagination is used is very important. We need to understand that worry and anxiety is a misuse of imagination And in years like the one that we're experiencing, that's filled with so much trauma, trauma that I think a lot of people aren't even aware of is happening to them. They won't be aware of until they look back. We have to understand that that trauma, because we don't deal with it and we aren't equipped to respond to it, it is hijacking our imaginations. And then we start misusing our imaginations to worry and fear. And so we need to develop some healthy practices where we sort of work our wonder muscle Uh, back into strength and understand how to take that control of our imagination back and use it the way that it was intended when it was given to us to create, to innovate, to create this hopeful, optimistic vision of the future. You can't not have a vision for the future. Your imagination is already creating one. You have a vision, but rather than leave it up to uh, other people to create that vision for you, I think it's really important to stop and pause and go, what is the vision for my life that I feel compelled to be obedient to? Um, and then to be intentional about writing that story instead of submitting to the people of the world. Cause there's plenty of other people who will gladly write your story for you. That's right, man. So many parallels there. We talk about energy and you only have so much to go around. Where are you investing your best energy? And it's interesting as, as you, think, or as we think through this year, we've been sucked a lot of us through our devices in the middle of the fall election season uh, Mm of division in our country to say, there's kind of only so much energy that has gone around. And many leaders have told me, how do I get back to creating? How do I get away from Well, we've got to take it away from somewhere. Um, That's what I'm hearing in this conversation. And I want to make sure listeners don't miss that. Go back and listen to that. Again, we are misusing our energy, our imagination on fear and um, the body keeps the score, right? And when there's imagination, when there's a dream that for me always feels like both a root and a fruit of trusting in the father, a root and the fruit and the fruit of living well. Uh, that's so good, Harris, and so close to our heart at, at Stay Forth. Um, talk a little bit about wonder and being a dad. How has being a dad uh, given you more wonder? Yeah. And I often say that before my cynicism crushed the wonder of my kids, God used my kids and allowing me to become a dad to reawaken wonder in my life and help me believe in magic again. Because when you're someone who the world around you labels as a magician, but everything you do is fake, it's hard to believe in much that is real. It's like, hold up, wow. people are going this magic and it's, wow, this isn't even magic. These are just tricks. But then as an illusionist, you know, you travel around the world. I've had a chance to perform in about 40 countries so far. And some of those cultures that I've been to are pretty superstitious. And though Americans sort of go, oh, we know it's not actually real magic. And I'm not sure why we actually call it magic. I guess because it looks like magic. You know, you have all those conversations, but then you go to another country 
you make a table levitate in some of the countries I've been to, I mean, people will fall down and worship you because of the power that you supposedly have. And so you have to be really careful with that. But, you know, (laughs) what's interesting about those experiences is that when you look at them through the lens of being a dad, it, it makes it at that season when I became a dad, it makes it hard. It was really hard for me, I should say, to believe in anything that was real because I'm like, hold up. If these people think that what I'm is doing is real and yet even people who are seemingly biblically educated within the church, if they're looking at these superstitious cultures and thinking, man, what those people are experiencing is real. But then I go hang out with those psychic healers and witch doctors and shamans and voodoo priests. And they all want to know the secrets to my tricks because their quote unquote tricks are somewhat outdated. I don't even know if there's anything that's real anymore. Yeah. Uh, and so I traveled around, had all those experiences and kind of came back home uh, thinking, I don't, I don't know what to believe anymore. And then my son was born and gosh, like he, he saw magic everywhere. I'm like, what is it that he's seeing that I'm missing? What is it that he's seeing that I'm not? When he was about nine months old, I was doing a fire breathing act at a 4th of July event, something I had done a few hundred times. And it was just another normal fire breathing act. And I made a really stupid, foolish mistake that night. And I set my face on fire for about six seconds. And it was long enough for me to end up having second degree burns all over my face and my mouth. And I had a canceled tour and a few weeks of no shows. And that was when everything sort of came to this point of culmination where I remember asking myself one day, like, why, why do you do this stuff? Is it time to quit? Why do you jump in tanks of water wearing straitjackets? Why do you walk across shards of glass barefoot? Why do you take torches and put them near your face? Some of this stuff sounds pretty stupid. And I'd forgotten. I didn't know why. I wasn't able to answer that question. I, don't, I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. And it's because I'd lost my belief. I'd lost my faith in the fact that my life could have any sort of meaning or purpose to it. I'd lost my why. And when you lose your why, you lose your way. And just before I was ready to hang up the proverbial top hat, so to speak, and quit magic, um, that's when I really leaned into that perspective of my son. Um, And I I remember, you know, it was in simple things like we would go out on the back deck and blow bubbles and we would blow bubbles and I would just see bubbles. Um, But I realized like to a little kid, there's no just anything. Um, he wasn't seeing bubbles. He was seeing magic. And that's when it hit me that I was, I was trying to run away from what I thought was childishness because I was trying to grow up and show the world that I was the man because I never had the approval of my dad. Um, and yet here I was as a dad offering my son, my fullest approval. Um, but he was seeing these truly magical things everywhere. Um, and I realized that he was, childlike and that there's a big difference between what is childish and childlike. And man, that season reawakened my wonder, flipped the switch back on, redefined what magic was in my opinion, and reminded me why I traveled around the world doing these things that other people refer to as magic, but are just simply illusions. Uh, It's to show them what is fake and highlight the difference between that and what is real. Mm. Um, That experience changed my life. Wow. Thanks for sharing, man. That's, that's incredible. And I would echo being a dad changed me in ways I could have never imagined. Um, 
provision has a way of beating wonder out of us. And the idea of we need to add value in the world. We often seek approval through work. The challenge to, to many finances are always biting at their heels. Uh, and it's never enough if we look kind of at the scarcity pie. Uh, and a lot of people think truly the answer is getting a job, having a profession, a vocation that I deeply care about and can get paid for. Talk a little bit about it, the tension of that to say there are some people who may need to exit their roles. Maybe they have lost complete wonder in what they do. Maybe some who need to re-envision that time. Um, are there places that we can seek wonder outside of our job? What do you, what do you tell that person that feels so beat down by provision and by work that wonder has just wandered out the door? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think wonder is everywhere. It's not just in our work. Um, and this is, you know, we didn't plan this interview. I didn't get these questions. So this is going to sound canned, but I would actually return back to, uh, you know, picking up on the story I just told you with my son. You know, as he got a couple years older, we had this experience. Uh, we were in South Carolina, I think. We went to this old vintage arcade. Um, it was so cool. We had a blast. And we came back to Nashville and he started asking questions about going back to an arcade. So we tried Chuck E. Cheese and I was just like, oh, I don't know if I want to spend lots of time in this a place. AKA Chuck E. Uh, disease. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then we tried Dave and Buster's. And for some reason I got, I got hooked. <laughs> I got sucked in. Um, and I started using the excuse. I'm like, babe, it is, it's half price game night on Wednesday nights. This could be like a cool guy night for Jude and I. Um, and so we started spending a few weeks going to Dave and Buster's, uh, three months later, almost every Wednesday night, we had gone to Dave and Buster's, you know, at Chuck E. Cheese, when you swipe the little digital card to play the game, it spits out all those paper tickets. So you kind of have this idea of how many tickets they're winning. And Jude's like, look at all these tickets, dad. And you go put them in and you spend them. Well, at Dave and Buster's, it's kind of tricky for a five-year-old because, you know, you play the game and then all of the tickets are digital. They just go back on your card that you swiped to play with. And, I remember every week we would go in to spend his tickets. And for some reason, all he ever cared about was a pack of gummy bears, which was like 150 tickets, but he was winning thousands of tickets each week. So we would win thousands of tickets. He would only spend 150 of them. A few months into this, I'm like, this is, we probably shouldn't be coming to Dave and Buster's every single week. Like the weather's starting to get nice. There's probably enough video games for a five-year-old. Um, we should just spend all the tickets. Cause in my mind, I'm like, if we just spend all these tickets that we've been amassing, that'll like close this chapter. And so we go in and swipe the card. I kid you not. We had amassed almost 200,000. <laughs> and I'm like, Jude, we need to spend all these tickets, dude. He's like, what can I get? I'm like, you could literally have anything in this entire store. And it was true. You could get like an Xbox, an iPad, um, an Apple watch. Uh, I have an Apple watch. I'm not wearing it right now. I have an Apple watch that came from those Dave and Buster's tickets. True story. Um, so like little Jude's looking around and he starts looking up at the top shelf, which I don't know if you've ever been, but it's like filled with these giant stuffed animals that never bought anything from the top shelf. Like, I know. Right. But it's I, I'm big... buying the little things in the glass thing. <laughs> it's like this giant pillow with the Dave and Buster's logo and like a big giant teddy bear. And he locks eyes with this giant stuffed unicorn with like hot pink hair and a gold horn. It was a character from the minions movies. And as he's looking up at this, this unicorn, I'm in my mind, I'm like, no, surely not like anything else, dude. Um, and sure enough, he's like, dad, can I get the unicorn? 
And I was like, you could, or you could get an iPad. <laughs> so he's like, I want a unicorn. Uh, I didn't know what to do in that moment. Honestly, as a dad, I was just like, okay, what do I do? It's going to be a scene if I tell him he can't, because I told him he could have anything he wanted. I was so ready to get out of there. We get this unicorn. We get like three cases, like wholesale size cases of gummy bears. I'm pretty excited because I get to spend 180,000 of those tickets on an Apple watch. Right now we're, we bag up our stuff. We're walking through the parking lot. I've got the bag of stuff. He is carrying this giant unicorn. He has this massive smile on his face. And I look down and I had this moment as a dad and I'm like, Jude, you excited about your unicorn bud? And he looks up at me and he says, and I quote, yeah, daddy, sissy is going to love her unicorn oh. so much. Now in that moment, Jude did not pull out a deck of cards, right? He wasn't, he wasn't like, dad, pick a card. Or it wasn't like, what is, what is that behind your ear? Oh, look at that. It's a quarter, right? He didn't do a magic trick for me. But in that moment, I came in contact with what I call real magic. I had this transcendent experience where God used that moment to open my eyes up a little bit wider and reawaken my wonder. And I processed that experience the whole way home. I still think about it today. I wrote about it in the book. And the reason why it was so profound of an experience to me is because when we come in contact with that golden pool of magic, when it touches us in that way, it leaves us transformed. And it was a little glimpse into the mind of a child, this constant return to turn away from childishness and return back to childlikeness. And this is where I bring this full circle to answer your question. You know, in a when we live in a season that everything is saying, hey, there's not enough to go around, you know, everything needs to tighten up, leaders need to be responsible. We shift from viewing the world with a lens that allows us to see abundance and we shift into this mindset that is focused on scarcity. And Jude in that moment had abundance, um, what felt like an abundance to me, so much that I used it to get an Apple watch for myself. And yet Jude at five years old saw so much more abundance beyond 200,000 Dave and Buster's tickets. There was so much opportunity and plenty to go around that he wasn't trying to be the hero of his own story. He was trying to love his little sister. Well, by getting her this character that she had fallen in love with in a movie that we had watched a week before. Um, and when you are able to see the world through through the eyes of a child the way that you did when you were a kid before your wonder was crushed. I think that equips you to have that same mindset, what I call a wonder mindset, instead of a mindset that's rooted in limitations and some sort of false sense of scarcity. Harris, thanks for letting us behind the curtain today. It's been so good. Um, listeners, encourage you to pick up the book, The Wonder Switch. Um, I can't wait to read it personally to, to really dig into that. It is on my list. Uh, last question, maybe a hard one, as I'm hearing kind of that theme of growing young. Um, 10, 20, 30 years from now, where do you hope that this, this wonder muscle, that this growing imagination takes you as a human, as a dad, as a husband? Adam, I'm, I hope I'm able to look back and, you know, that God's able to say, see, see, when you submit to awe and wonder of who I am and what I'm capable of, do you see what was possible? So much more was possible than you realized. Uh, and hopefully by that point, I begin to see some sort of legacy that's left behind um, that people were willing and able to step into stories that were bigger than themselves, all because of the way they allowed wonder to lead and guide the way.
So good, man. Where can folks um, get some glimpses of what you do, who you are? Where can folks find you online? Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. It's just Harris the Third. I have a weird name, but it's Harris I I I, like the Roman numeral three. I really am the third uh, guy in my family with the same name. So three generations in a row, they stuck with it. So Harris I I I on Twitter, Instagram, uh, and Harris the Third dot com. If you want to pick up a copy of the book, I would recommend going to the Wonder Switch. Dot com at the wonderswitch.com that you can't buy the book directly from us but there's easy to click links and a whole bunch of free resources uh, that you can download that are designed to assist and accompany your reading of the book it's been an incredible interview man thanks for what you do thanks for so many people you are re-inspiring likewise keep on keeping on what you're doing is important